And now we read together Luke chapter 2, verse 15. Luke chapter 2, and verse 15 to 35. So it was, when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. And when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in, her, in the womb. Now when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Let us pray. O gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Simeon had a very short bucket list. In verse 26, it says, It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. That was the only thing left to happen in his life before he died. Some people have long bucket lists, things so long that they have to finish before they die that it wouldn't even fit in a bucket. 
Their list billows out at the top like the list of some shopper on steroids whose eyes got too big on the Friday after Thanksgiving and who never finished their shopping by the time Christmas rolled around. The only thing worse than not finishing your shopping and it's 6 p.m. on Christmas Eve is not finishing your list of goals in life and it's 11.59 p.m. on the next to the last day of your life. Did you ever wonder what is really needed in your life? When can we say with confidence that we have all we need? And how much of the rest of life is just window dressing? Oh, I like window dressing just as much as the next holiday shopper. My days as a youth were spent looking at beautiful Department store windows at Quackenbush and Stearns and Meyer Brothers in downtown Patterson. Glorious displays that reeled you into the store like a fish on a line. And there is value, intrinsic worth to beauty. And window displays and other things we might consider non-essential matters or things we don't really need play a role in developing a sense of beauty for us. Even as I was captivated by electric trains rolling past beautiful shiny toys with mannequins wearing sparkling clothing. But when we focus on the beauty itself and make an idol of it, we fall prey to the false promises of this world. Promises that advertisers like to use that promise us prestige and beauty only if you buy these things. And the Apostle Paul writes in Philippians 3, their mind is on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there. We await a Savior coming a second time at the last day, even as Simeon was awaiting a Savior coming the first time. His bucket list was short, carrying one item, seeing the Lord's Christ. That's all he needed because his citizenship is in heaven. How long is your bucket list? Are you of the mind, like C.S. Lewis, that you would like to know where all this beauty comes from? The sweetest thing in all my life has been the longing to find the place where all the beauty comes from. When you see something beautiful in this world, are you looking above? Are you looking for a source? Or are you making an idol of that beauty? As I consider with you these texts, I want to share with you these three points. First, verses 15 to 20, a Savior seen. Jesus, the Savior, is all we need. Verses 21 to 26, waiting to see the Savior. Jesus is still all we need. And verses 27 through 35, seeing what we need, all we need to receive the Savior. And maybe today we'll find out that there's nothing else we need, just like Simeon, but Jesus. First, verses 15 to 20, a Savior seen. 
Jesus is all we need. Throughout this portion, which we read together, part of it today and earlier in the Advent season, you'll notice that seeing confirms the believing of these shepherds. Seeing does not create the faith. The shepherds already believed enough to take a trip to Bethlehem, leaving behind their flocks before they saw the baby Jesus. Mary believed the angel Gabriel when told that the Holy Spirit would overshadow her, bringing the conception of the Holy One, and she believed. She said, let it be to me according to your word, Luke 1, 38. Before she saw Jesus, Simeon believed that the Lord's Christ would appear before he died. Given a special revelation by the Holy Spirit, we're not to look for such things ourselves as we have the word. But he believed that he would see this Christ before he did. Sometimes we take an attitude of those in Missouri, the show me state. Sometimes we'll say, I'll believe it when I see it. But seeing is the result of faith, not the cause of faith. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ, Romans 10, 17. We believe first upon the revelation of Christ, the living word, who gave us the written word, and we believe it as the Holy Spirit commends it to us. What I'm saying is that all we need is Jesus. And we know Jesus by the word in the Bible, inspired by the Holy Spirit, proclaimed in Christ's church, illuminated by the Holy Spirit, and believed upon in our heart, given assurance by the interior testimony of the Spirit. Yes, the shepherds saw literal angels in the sky over Bethlehem, but the focus in the Bible is on the message. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in the manger. We see, we share in that hearing like those original shepherds. It is a reliable account. Luke 1, verses 1 through 4. Luke describes how he spoke to eyewitnesses, probably Mary herself there in Jerusalem. Speaking to eyewitnesses from the beginning and ministers of the word declaring the certainty of those things in which we have been instructed. This certainty comes not from seeing with one's eyes, but also having a different faith, a faith that is based on hearing and then seeing with one's mind. The eyes of faith, understanding from others a real history that happened and seeing in one's heart that it is true as the Holy Spirit commends it to our conscience. In verse 15, we read, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing. That word thing is the Greek word rhema, which means both utterance and reality. It is a saying that is so sure that it brings to pass the thing which happened. And so we see that the utterance of the angel about the coming of a savior, 
that this is a reality. They are lying in a manger. And the shepherds are told that there's a sign that's confirmed in verse 16. They came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. There is the thing in itself that is declared to be so by the utterance. And in verse 17, it says, Now when they had seen him, they made widely know the saying. It's again that word, rhema which was told them according concerning this child, the saying as to him being a savior, Christ the Lord, lying in a manger, wrapped in swaddling clothes. And so you note here that the saying is first on the lips of angels, but then it's on the lips of men, and it's on the lips of human beings like you and me. This sacred text this repetition from their lips to ours has the effect of encouraging others in the faith. It has the power by the Holy Spirit to the bring the same faith that it has brought to us. And the reactions of the principal parties, Mary and the shepherds in 19 and 20, point us to the appropriate response not just to marvel as the mass of people did, but furthermore, to ponder them in her heart. And the shepherds glorifying and praising God. If we want to know Jesus to be all that we need, take something away with you today. Keep it as Mary did. Keep it and think about it and pray upon it, and ponder on it. This is not going to be a quick process. We're not asking you overnight to change the direction of your life. We're calling you to ponder on the word of God and to glorify God with your life. But remember also, that this is something that does not require you to have seen those angels yourselves in the sky. Mary didn't. Those other people didn't. Why would they marvel when they heard the saying of the shepherds if they had already seen the shepherds in the skies themselves? I often, as a kid, wondered, well, I wonder how, how many people saw those, those angels. I think it was the shepherds. Because why would people marvel over the saying of the shepherds if they saw it themselves? You need to trust the word, the word of God delivered and even proclaimed here this day. Believe in the reliable testimony of the scriptures. Believe upon this Savior that he has come Believe, as John writes, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and that that very Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Believe that that Word made this world with all its beauty, but we are not meant to idolize the beauty, but to glorify the Maker. But also remember this, that this is the Savior who is like a shoot of life coming out of a dead stump, as we saw a couple weeks ago. That dead stump 
of Judah who was cut off because of their sin. We too, because of our sin, have been cut off from God. But springing up from the stump of Jesse is a sprout. It's a sprig. It's a shoot of life. And coming forth from our life will be life as we believe in that Christ. He came to be cut down like a tree, cut down in the prime of his life at the cross of Calvary in our place. Second today, verses 21 to 26, waiting to see the Savior. Jesus is still all we need. In our modern culture, we may ask the question, well, that was fine for those simple folk, Mary, the virgin mother of Jesus, shepherds and the like. But haven't we moved on now to deeper things? Haven't we gotten a little more sophisticated? Well, I want to ask you, who are you waiting for? Are you waiting for Godot? Are you waiting for God? In other words, are you waiting for self-actualization being fulfilled in your own terms? from a postmodern worldview with yourself being the ultimate arbiter of reality? Or are you waiting for a promised Messiah? One example of this self-actualization is in accord with a modern philosophy that was popularized in the mid-20th century by a play called Waiting for Godot. It's part of the postmodern project that denies rationality and the reasonable understanding of any text of literature, denying that language itself has any inherent meaning, but it only has the meaning that a reader brings to the text. It's really always all about you and what you think that text means. There is no such thing as a propositional revelation of truth from God. In other words, it's me. My existence precedes all essence. It's called existentialism, placing a premium upon the personal existence of the observer and that observer's sensory experience. And there's nothing more important than me and my experience. There is no essence. There's nothing before me. There's nothing prior to me that carries authority in my life. Not religion, not morality, not ethics. Not only is man the measure of all things as claimed in the Renaissance, but also this particular man or woman, me or you, you are the measure of all things, as claimed by postmodern philosophy. My experience trumps all, and therefore there is no valid room in my life for a God who claims that he created me and has a call upon my life. So I want to ask you, are you going to wait for Godot? Or are you going to wait for God? To wait for Godot in the terms of that play means to live in a world of contradiction. 
where a little boy speaks to the two lead characters on the first date and says, well, Godot is coming that evening. And then the very next day, that same little boy says to those same two characters, Godot is not coming. And by the way, we never even talked about it yesterday. What are you talking about? There is inherent in this worldview a denial of the law of non-contradiction. There is a denial of rational discourse. And if you want to live in that world, go ahead. But try to explain that to the state trooper when he pulls you over for going 85 in a 65 zone. And you tell him, well, 65 meant for me 90. It's not the way we read. It's not the way we think. And it is a cover story simply for rebellion of the secular mind. I call you not to wait for Godot. I call you to wait for God. As it says in verse 21, we wait for a real Savior, Jesus. His name is Jesus. The name given by an angel before he was conceived in the womb. We see that this Jesus is the one who was then consecrated, verses 22 through 24, which means to say that his life from the outset had blood all over it. Like every firstborn son in Israel, those firstborn sons were considered belonging to God in a special way because God had spared the firstborn son in the Exodus but then God ordained that the tribe of Levi would step in for all the firstborn sons who belonged to God and that the parents of those firstborn sons would make a sacrifice to the trela, to the tribe of Levi to redeem back their firstborn sons so they could raise them in their homes. This submission of Christ to this points to the fact that a sacrifice was going to be needed at the last day. A sacrifice of the firstborn son, the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. That he, the firstborn over all creation, would come and die for his people. And so I call you to wait upon this God and I call you to wait upon him in the power of the Spirit. It says here in verse 25 that there was a man just and devout waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And you may ask, well, I don't feel the Holy Spirit. I don't get the really shivers. I don't have that experience, Pastor. And I'm saying to you that one of the signs of faith and one of the signs of God's call on your life is that you are brought to the point that you call out to God, send your Holy Spirit upon me. Luke eleven thirteen. if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? If you are puzzled about this Christian thing, and you want to know God, and you don't want to be left in some corner of some philosophical cloakroom waiting for Godot, then wait upon God and ask for the Holy Spirit. That can be your very first prayer. Oh, God, 
send your Holy Spirit upon me. I need you to be saved. And then third and finally, seeing what we need. All we need to receive the Savior is first, as you see in the text here in verses 27 and following, that we would humble ourselves before God, asking him to lead us to meet Jesus. You see, Simeon was brought into the temple specifically to meet Jesus. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. He was led there that day because God knew that Jesus was going to be there that day. That was the day that the child Jesus was brought by the parents to do for him according to the custom of the law. And so Simeon was led by the Spirit. Will you humble yourself today and call upon God? I need your leading. This is above my pay grade. I need your help to meet you. Send your spirit. Bring me even perhaps to the church. Because the temple was the place where God met his people. Now Christ is the place where he met, meets his people. Christ can be met in your bedroom as you read the Bible. can be met in your table at your meals as you read the Bible together. It can be met in a forest if you bring a Bible with you. But also, Christ is met here among his people as he is proclaimed to you. So it may just be that it's a good thing that you're here. And we pray that the same spirit who brought Simeon to the temple will bring you to himself through his church. Secondly, we read in verse 28, he took him up in his arms and blessed God. To know Christ, to know that he is enough, to know that he is all you need, you need to embrace Christ in faith. Grasp Christ. Hang on to him. Thank God for so great a salvation as Jesus. Come to him. It says in John 1.12, But all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. It is God's Spirit who will bring you to him. But you need to pick him up and embrace him. Now right now, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, he is sovereign king, ascended, but think of Christ as this baby. Embrace him, and then Christ will embrace you. Third, he says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. Now, as you come to embrace Christ, trust in him. Believe his word according to your word. Believe that he has peace for you in mind. That he has peace between God and you. 
because he paid for your sins at the cross of Calvary and believed that he has peace for you in a community of faith, a church united based upon the gospel. Believe that he will bring peace to your heart, peace to your soul, to help carry you through whatever trials you will face. And then finally, this is a salvation prepared before all peoples, verses 30 through 32. It's for all peoples. It's for the Gentiles, verse 32. It's for Israel, end of verse 32. No one is excluded. You may be part of the Old Testament people of God, the Jews, or you may be a different type of insider, someone who's, who's raised in the church. You are a covenant people as Christ has taught you of Jesus from a young age. Or you might be a Gentile. You might be like those who Paul described in Ephesians 2.12, without hope and without God in the world. Wherever you're coming from, this Jesus is for you and for your salvation. And then as you receive him, you will bear the message as the shepherds did. You will have that rhema on your lips. You will be one who declares that Christ the Lord is born in Bethlehem. You'll be the one who declares glory to God in the highest and on the earth peace, goodwill toward men. You will be the one who sees the word matched with a reality as lives are changed, first your own, then your families, and then your relatives, work associates, and neighbors. Yes, Jesus is the Savior, and he is all we need, and he is still all we need, no matter the philosophies of our day. And come, embrace the Savior, trust him. It's all it takes for all we need. Let us pray. Bless these dear ones. Bring them your Holy Spirit. Lift up your word to their hearts that they would follow you and find in you all they need. We pray in Jesus' name.